Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying. All right. I beat him. FYI. All right. You know, and we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. You guys did much better than the first service. I feel, I feel ready now. I feel ready now. There was also like five people there, so that's different. Um, but thank you so much for being here, for worshiping with us. Uh, Fieldstone family, friends, we're so glad to have you here.
kids. It's so great to have you here. Um, and Justin was lying. We don't want you running around everywhere. Uh, we, we want you staying right where you're at. But don't worry, I don't have ADHD or anything, so I should be able to stay on point. And now I just gave you a challenge. Um, but anyway, uh, very privileged to be able to give the last talk here at Fieldstone in 2019. Um, and so with Christmas behind us and now looking forward into the new year, this is always a time where we can look forward into the new year and it's like a blank slate. And so we get to look forward into the new year and we get to think about all these different hopes and these possibilities that we have in that new year. And so we start to take a little bit of focus on what we might want to accomplish. And in a lot of ways, that turns into some New Year's resolutions. So how many people in here are planning on doing New Year's resolutions? Oh, not, not that many. There'd be even fewer if I asked this question in February. Um, <laughs> And so that's the thing. So we come up with these New Year's resolutions because, you know, we want to be better. And so we want to do better. And so your New Year's resolution might be to finally get in shape. And so you're going to do that crash diet. You're going you're gonna to take on that exercise routine. Or there are habits that you want to break or new habits and hobbies that you want to pick up because you know that those will better you. Or maybe in a spiritual sense, this is going to be the year that you finally pick up your Bible and you read it daily and you do that prayer journal that you've been wanting to do for so long. You know, whatever your commitment might be, eventually February is going to roll around and then March, and then April. And for a lot of those commitments, we start to fall back on them. And we start to make excuses and we start to do things like that. And so as I was looking forward into this new year with all of this hope and these possibilities, I thought that today would be a great day to talk about failure. <laughs> and so this is gonna be one of those heartwarming, really make you feel good sermons as you look at your own life and you think about the places that either you have failed or you are going to fail. And it's funny to think about that in the sense of New Year's resolutions, because we all know those stories about things that have been promised and broken when it comes to a New Year's resolution. And that's kind of, it is what it is. But what about those things that you've been struggling with for years? What about those things in your life, those failures, those faults that you know are there that maybe other people don't know? Maybe there are things that are deeply seated wounds in your life because of your own failures and your own faults. Those aren't so funny. And so those are the things that I want to speak about today because failure is a part of our human experience. We all know it. We all say, well, I'm only human. We all make mistakes. We all have faults. But as we look forward into the new year, what I want to ask is, how do we deal with failure? So how do we handle failure in this new year as we come across it, and maybe for the umpteenth time, what are we going to do? And I want to offer a simple solution that we'll unpack a little bit today. And what I want to offer you is that we have the opportunity as believers to take advantage of grace to take advantage of grace. But before we can move on and unpack that too much, we have to ask the question, what is grace? Because here in a church setting, that's a word that gets thrown out all the time. And whether you're a kid in here, you've been in church your entire life, uh, that word grace is something that all too often we can just talk about and not actually stop and say, what is that? What does that mean? Because our entire faith is based on this grace. And so one of the simplest ways I can do that is with an analogy. When I was a kid, I was not good at cleaning my room. 
My parents would attest to that. I was not good at cleaning my room. I didn't do it. They would ask me time and time again, especially if we had company coming over, Eric, why have you not cleaned your room? But there was always something better to do. There's always something to take my attention away, whether it was the video games that I had hooked up in my room, so I would go in there thinking, they would think that I was cleaning them, but really I was just procrastinating. Whatever that was that kept me from doing that, they would ask three, four, five, 17 times for me to clean my room. Now, my parents would get more and more upset, and rightfully so. I was actively disobeying them. They were asking me to do something. I wasn't doing it. I was being obstinate. So what if my parents came in and right then, as soon as my parents come in that, you know, 18th time, I'm thinking, I deserve this. I deserve this punishment. I deserve to be told again that I need to clean my room, but then I deserve to be punished, whether that's taking away those video games that have been taking my attention away, whether that's being grounded, whatever that punishment was, I knew that I had deserved that at that point. But what if my parents come in and not only do they not punish me, as I know that I should be, they look at me and they say, you know what? We're going to give you some help. We're going to help you clean your room. And as we help you clean your room, we're going to give you tips that you can keep your room clean so you don't have to run into this scenario again, where your room is just an absolute mess, looks like a bomb went off in the middle of it. We're going to help you stay organized. And then after we do that and we get everything clean and tidy and neat where it needs to be, then we're going to take you out for ice cream. We're going to take you out to a movie. We're going to treat you as if it was a reward. Even as a kid, we can look at that and say, I don't deserve that. There is no way. I know what I did. I know what I deserve. And yet you're going to handle it this way. Not only are you going to give me help, but then you're going to treat me afterward. And I would propose to you that that's exactly how our God interacts with us. That's exactly what he offers us. That's grace. Not only that he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve, but that he gives us so much more instead. And so this goes right back to the simple gospel. The simple gospel is this, that we were created to live in relationship with God. We were created close to him. We were created in this perfect relationship, but because of our failure, because of our sin, we're separated from him. There's this distance now between that. And instead of leaving us there, God graciously gave us a savior. He sent his own son, and that's what we just got done celebrating last week, is that God sends his own son into this world to bridge that gap, to come and live the life that we can't because of our failure, because of our sin. He came to live the life that we can't, to die the death that we deserve And then not only does he die that death to take away our punishment, he also offers us life in the the place of our punishment. And this life is eternal life, yes, and that's something that is awesome and something that should be celebrated, but all too often we look just for that eternity. We say, like, Jesus came, he he died, he, he took my penalty, and now I can live forever with him in heaven. But the thing is, is that God is looking at you right now and saying, I want you to live this life that I'm offering now, here, in this life. And that's something that we all too often look past. We act like our conversion is this black and white thing that I was lost and now I'm found, I was blind and now I see. But what happens when as believers we still deal with our own failure? 
we're still dealing with our own faults and our own setbacks. What do we do with that? And so scripture is pretty clear with that. So in Hebrews 4.16, the author says this, let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so in this, I could unpack this and just like Justin said, I could preach for three hours. Um, And I won't today. We could unpack this and we could talk about how awesome it is that we can even come into the presence of God. And it's that boldness that we have, not because of anything that we've done, not because of who we are. It's a boldness because of what Christ has already done for us. And we can step into God's presence. And there, not only do we have the ability to step into his presence and to have this relationship with him, but what's it say next? We find mercy and grace. This is written to believers This isn't written to people who don't know Jesus and it's saying, hey, you can come meet him. This is written to believers who know him, who have a relationship with him, and it's saying that we can step into his presence and find mercy and this grace to help us in time of need. And so something else needs to be asked before we move forward. As we come into God's presence in this way, when we fail and we come back to him, something else needs to be asked, and it's a question of motive. It's a question of heart. And the question is simple. Why do I do what I do? Or why do we do what we do? Now that has two parts to it. Why did I fail in the first place? What was it that drew me away? What was it that um, made me do something that I wasn't supposed to do or kept me from doing something that I should have done? So that's that first question of motive. Why do I do what I do? But secondly, why do I want to be different? What is it that drives me, that pushes me to want something more? Because in the case of a New Year's resolution, if I just want to crash diet and do these workout routines and things like that, even if I'm good at that, if all I want is to look better in front of people, then I'm missing the point. But if I could have my mind changed and I could start seeing it from a different perspective and start recognizing that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, And as such, I can take care of God's house in a way that honors him and glorifies him for a purpose that's bigger than myself. You can see how that motivation, as that motivation changes, as our way of thinking changes, that can change our resolve, that can change our push, that can change our desire as our mind is changed. And scripture puts it this way. The apostle Paul wrote wrote to the Romans and said this in 12.2. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's through this change of mind that as we come to God, as he changes our way of thinking, as he changes our motivation, our heart, our will is actually changed to be his. And so we have to be willing to surrender that to God, to come to him and ask for help in our time of need. But God also doesn't just change our thinking and leave it up to us to do the work. He doesn't say, now that you have a new line of thought, you'll be able to figure it out from here on out. No, God steps in and God does something. Just like that kid who had his parents, and by the way, my parents never did that for me, But just like that kid who has his parents come in and help them clean, help them do the work, help them, show them what it means to do the job that they've been asked to do. 
God steps in and he does that. And uh, it's put this way in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, dear friends, you always followed me by, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I cannot overstate the amazingness of this grace that God gives us. Not only does he look at us in our failure and in our sin and say, this is what you deserve. Not only does he look at us and say, you aren't going to get that. He paid for our sin. He paid for our punishment. He took all of that away from us. Not only does he do that, he steps in and he says, now I'm going to help you figure out how to live the life that I've created you to. I'm going to help you live the life that I've created you to by changing the way that you think, giving you different desires in your heart, and I'm going to give you the power, the ability to actually walk that out and live that out. Because I know that this life that I've come to give you will lead to freedom and will lead to something that is far better than anything that you could ever imagine. God gives us so much with his grace in that regard. God is just pouring that out for our benefit because when people see that in our lives, people see something different. People see him. And so ultimately, we're going to get to the point where we recognize that this is to glorify God above anything else. And so we're left with this principle as we look at all of this, that when we deal with our failures, it's not about relying on our own willpower. It's about relying on God's will and his power. And that's something that God pours into us. That's something that God changes in us. That's something that we can come to him and we can ask for and we can be different because of what God is doing in our lives. Not because we're so special, not because we have the resolve to figure it out on our own, but because we serve a God who looks at us in our failure, that in this world, when we deal with our own failures and our own faults and those things that knock us down time and time and time again, those can be pretty heavy burdens that we carry around with us. That can be like suitcases full of rocks that we just drag everywhere that we go. That's burdensome. That's heavy. We feel that. And so we start to identify with our own faults. And so not only do we say, man, I failed again, we start looking at ourselves and saying, I'm a failure. And that's a dangerous place to be, but that's a place that God never wants us to get. And so we can look at our failures and we can journey from this burdensome place where we're carrying these around with us and we can step into the freedom that God offers us. And that's by taking advantage of grace. We can step into this freedom, this new free and light life that Jesus wants for us. And we can do that step by step. I'm just going to give you three practical um, points for this, and this is going to look differently in everyone's life, but basically how? How do we do this? How do we journey from one place to another? How do we step into that grace of God? And three things that I'll give you. One, admit your faults. It has to start with confession. You have to be willing to throw out the excuses, to throw out the reasons why you fail, to stop pointing fingers at other people or other things, and to recognize that there is an issue with you. That's how we come to Christ in the first place. We recognize that there's something missing, there's something wrong with me, and I need someone to fix it. And so that has to be the first step for us, is confession. But number two, ask for God's help. 
Ask for God's help. And this is, the se- this is the step where we have to humble ourselves because we have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. This is the point where a lot of people get where they get fed up and they confess again to God and they say, you know, I've done this again and I've failed you again, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And they try to have this resolve and they try to get up and pull themselves up and keep walking. But then what happens when you fail again? And then you fail again. We can't act like we have the answers in and of ourselves. So we have to ask God for help. We have to humble ourselves and ask him for help so he can step in and do what he wants to do. And thirdly, we can accept God's grace. And it's when we accept God's grace, it's at this step that we can actually get back up and move forward. We can recognize that our failures, that the things that we've done, that the faults that we have are things that we can walk past because we're getting up and we're accepting God's grace and we're walking into that newness of life that God has for us. We're willingly leaving those things behind. And that doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up again. But we know that in this place, when we're accepting of God's grace, that his grace is bigger than our failures. His grace is bigger than our faults. And we can walk in that truth and in that knowledge and in that understanding. And as we do, that changes the way that we think about our faults and our failures. That changes the way that we think about ourselves. That changes the way that we think about our motive and our desire to be better and to do better. That changes the way that we think about God most importantly and the way that we can look into and reach into other people's lives when they're dealing with failures, when they're dealing with faults, and offer them a solution to it. It's only through Jesus. It's only through his grace. It's only through what he gives us. We don't deserve it, but he freely offers it. And so as we look into this new year, I just want that to be an encouragement that our faults no longer have to be something that drive a wedge between us and God. Our faults and our failures can actually be something that draw us to him. And that's exactly what they should be in our weaknesses. When we recognize that there's something lacking in our lives, we can press in to the God who offers us everything that we need when we need it most. We can come to him for that mercy. We can come to him for that grace And he's the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's filling in the gaps. And he's the one who's going to clean up this mess of a life that we have now and turn it into something that's beautiful for his glory, ultimately. And so that's why I say, as we look into this new year, as we look into all of these possibilities, these hopes, and everything that we have in front of us, we need to have the resolve just to take advantage of grace. Come to Christ when you need him most. Come to Christ often. Ask him for help and ask him for the life that he's promised you. He'll make it happen one step at a time, one day at a time as we press into him. And so as we enter this new year, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. We're just going to pray. And Father, I just, I want to come before you and I want to thank you. I want to lift up myself and everyone in this room to you, God, and pray that you would do something amazing in 2020 for us. God, ultimately, we know that the amazing things that you do, the amazing things that you offer, the amazing things um, that only you have the ability to perform in our lives, God, ultimately, we want that to be for your glory, to shine for you, Um, and that other people would see you at work in our lives. But God, when we come across our own failures and our own faults, God, let that press us into you. Let us draw near to you 
and sends you drawing near to us in those times because we know that you have everything that we could possibly need. We love you so much for that, God, for giving us what we don't deserve, for blessing us in ways that we can't even imagine. And I'm just asking that this next year would be one of the best for each and every one of us in this room because we see you um, so much clearer and we can walk closer with you. So we thank you for those opportunities. We thank you for everything that you're doing here in this church and in our lives individually. And just pray that you would continue your work as only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so that's all I got for you today. But thank you so much for being here, especially you kids. Thanks for being chill and cool, calm and collective. Good work, parents. I saw some just holding them down with knees and everything. It's good, good stuff. Um, but thank you so much for being here with us. You guys are dismissed. Have a blessed day.